Wow, wow, wow. God is in this house. It's just such an honor to be with you guys today and um, just love Duncan and Kate and Catch the Fire and John and Carol and you guys are some of my heroes. And so to be here today is just a a real joy, a real honor. And um, God is moving in this region. We had a great event uh, down the road somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where from here. Uh, this weekend, I know you had an event here too, and, and God is just doing great things. So if it's okay, I just would like to pray and just welcome the Holy Spirit. He's already here, but I, I just really believe the more, this morning, the Lord wants to meet us more than what I could say or produce. So can we agree for that? Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to have his way here. God can break into Sunday morning services, especially here. So Lord, we just love you. Right now, we just lift our eyes and we set our eyes on things above where Christ is seated. And we pray this morning, God, that you would just really have your way here. God, as it was said in the the prayer before the service, Lord, do something surprising this morning. God, we ask you for something surprising to happen this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to share with you guys, I'd like to look at a couple scriptures, but before we look at a few passages, if it's okay, I'd like to just share a little bit of the story. And I know some of you have heard this, and I apologize. Some of you might have even been there last night. Was anybody over at the other conference last night? There's a handful of you there. Okay. And I know some of you have heard a few of these stories. I'll share them briefly. The reason I want to share them is because it's the testimony of Jesus. It's God's sovereign and beautiful work. And that's why we want to share the testimony and, and uh, a little bit of the story and a little bit of what he's continuing to do. Was anybody on the National Mall with us in October? I know it was a handful. Okay, so October 6th through 9th, we were on the National Mall, Washington, D.C. You know, it was a couple of years we were wrestling with the Lord around this, this idea of really doing something uh, that was unprecedented on the National Mall. There's been amazing, amazing gatherings on our National Mall over the years in, in uh, many, many things. And so this wasn't the most important thing that's ever happened, but it was something that was unprecedented in that it had never been done before. Has God ever asked you to do something that's literally never been done? It's, yeah, it's, it's scary. And so we were in this process with the Lord. We were there in Fredericksburg. We'd been singing and praying 24 hours a day at times, 12 to 24 hours a day for, I don't know, seven, eight years. And how many of you know there's a verse in Isaiah 30 where it talks about prayer? And it says that as soon as he hears your voice, he responds. And then he says, your eyes will see your teacher and will come with a voice behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. And there's something about communities that will seek the Lord with all their heart, that God will come around them and will come behind them with a voice and will say, this is the way walk in it. And you'll step into things that you could never manufacture. And honestly, at times you could never even dream up. I believe God wants to do things through us that we haven't even dreamed up. They exceed our capacity to even think about. I mean, isn't that what Paul says in Ephesians 3, above what you could ask, think, or even imagine? I mean, Paul makes these 
extravagant statements, doesn't he? I mean, we're in the book of Ephesians at my home church right now, teaching through Ephesians. And in Ephesians, he makes the most ridiculous statements. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. What does that even mean? But he says we have it now. And he says in Ephesians 3, he's going to bless us. And he's going to, he says he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above what we could ask, think, or imagine. Now, sometimes that's very public and very visible. Sometimes it's not public and visible. Most of the time it's in your heart. It's the enlargement of your heart that he's mainly after. You know, sometimes we say the big and the extravagant and you think you have to be famous And it's not necessarily that, is it? It's the expansion of your heart to carry his heart, to hear his voice, and that's the adventure that you were made for, whether you're famous or not, right? So we're in this process. We're in these these eight years of just plowing, really, just small prayer meetings, five people at a time, 10 people at a time, every day, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. We're just there for the Lord, singing, writing songs, Kate mentioned just young adults coming together, just a few hundred of them. You know, sometimes I remember a phase in my life where I went, God, if you would just save a few hundred 20-year-olds in my city, I'd be so happy. And the Lord's just like, little guy. Like, that's a nice vision, little guy, you know? But I've got things in my heart. I want to talk to you about nations. I want to talk to you about what I'm doing in the Middle East. I want to talk to you about what's going on in Israel. I want to talk to you about things that so far transcend. That's the story we're in. Isn't Jesus a great leader? He is a good leader. He he has thoughts we haven't even thought of. He's got dreams we've barely touched. He's a good leader. And really all he's asking from you and me is just a yes. Get out of bed the next morning and say yes again. And one of our yeses was to sing and pray hours every day. That was one of our yeses. Every morning we get up and sing. So we're in this process. And all of a sudden, we're doing an event, and we didn't have a venue. This is amazing. What an amazing blessing this building is. I mean, this is a miracle. It is. This is awesome. It's beyond, I mean, I heard a little bit of the story. Come on, God. This is incredible. Anyway, we didn't have any venue at that time to do this event. And so we're praying and I have a dream. And again, I know some of you heard a few of these stories, but it's the testimony of Jesus. And it's just related to what God's doing right now. So I have a dream that we're doing our event in a 5,000 person circus tent. And the guy that owns the tent lives here in North Carolina. I knew who he was because he'd used this tent for some morning star conferences, but I didn't, we didn't know him and he did not know us. So I dream we're doing this thing. A few weeks later, get a phone call from this guy. Again, we didn't know each other. He calls, he goes, hey, I know you don't know me, but the Holy Spirit said we're supposed to do something together. What is it? So I said, well, I dreamed we were using your 5,000 person tent. Now, we only had like a 1,000 people register for this conference. I mean, it wasn't like, so he goes, okay. And so he brings this 5,000-person tent up to Virginia. We almost die setting it up. <laughs> and there we are. We're in this tent, and we did it two years. Second time we did this tent, it was just totally the Lord. 
Bob Jones comes the second time, and John and Carol were there that year. And Bob Jones, of course, has gone on to be with the Lord, but, you know, he was, he's a prophet, was, is, because he's in the cloud of witnesses right now. So he pulls us into this side tent, and this is what he says. He goes, you're going to be part of tent gatherings. He, we're sitting under the, in this massive tent. He goes, you're going to be part of tent gatherings. He said, the youth of America are going to gather. It's going to be porta johns and hot dog stands beyond your wildest imagination. That's a quote from the prophet. Porta johns and hot dog stands beyond your wildest imagination. He goes, it's going to be like a Holy Spirit Woodstock. There's going to be music. There's going to be prayer. He said, there's going to be um, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, all these things. And he's saying these things to us. And all of a sudden we're weeping, like sobbing. Like not just the human emotion deal, but sobbing on the ground. And Carol and John were a part of that too. So you can imagine where that went. And we're, and we're there on, on the ground, literally in the dirt, sobbing uncontrollably. And, and I, I actually went up to Carol after. I said, what happened? She goes, oh, it was just a baptism of fire. I said, yeah, that was a baptism. But it was, it was Bob's word that's rocking me. What, is, what was he talking about? Tent gatherings, porta johns and hot dog stands beyond your wildest imagination? And so we start getting dream after dream after dream after dream. And I, I won't tell all of them, but essentially it was about gathering on the East Coast. And it was the National Mall. So I'm, I'm calling Lou Engel and others. And I said, hey, if you know Lou, he, he, he does gatherings. So I thought he would be a good person to talk to. I said, is anything going on on the East Coast? And, and we end up, long and short of it is, we end up talking and there's, there's all kinds of confirmation. I mean, just wildness. I don't have time to tell it, but I'm literally getting on a flight to go out to, to meet Lou in California and a prophet calls me and quotes the dream about the gathering word for word almost. So I get out there, I'm like freaking out. I mean, you would think we'd be really excited. I'm actually freaking out. And I get out there and we're talking about this thing and I decide we're gonna go on a one week fast, just me and my wife in secret, just to ask the Lord to tell us if we're supposed to do anything, because Lou keeps turning to me. I love this about spiritual dads. <laughs> he keeps turning to me. See, I'm, I'm going to him because he's supposed to do my gathering for me. Right? I mean, he's Lou Engel. I'm like, here's the dreams. I'll show up, I'll pray on the mic, I'll dance around the stage, I'll do whatever, but just. And he goes, you're the one with the dream. He goes, if you pull the trigger, we'll go with you. I'm like, pull the trigger. And so. I decided one week fast with my body in secret, didn't tell anybody about it. I, my wife and I, we said, Lord, if you want us to pull the trigger, tell us something, anything, just tell us something. Three days in, a friend I haven't talked to in years sends me a note. He goes in, a, in a Facebook and he says, he goes, I had a dream about you. You were in a massive gathering. I walked up to you and I said, the Holy Spirit says, don't be afraid to do the new thing I've told you to do. I was, oh no. <laughs> I was, I was riding with Rick Pino somewhere a couple of days and I told him this. He goes, well, then you got to do it. I said, I don't know, bro. See, it, it, don't judge me. <laughs> like, well, of course you got to do it. Well, yeah. 
And I'm with Heidi Baker a little while later, and I tell her all this. She goes, well, I know what you're supposed to do. Uh, she said, maybe the Lord will tell you something tonight. We're at a conference. She gets up. It's our conference. I'm sitting there on the front row. She stands up, and she goes, David Bradshaw. If the Lord says go to the National Mall, you go to the National Mall. And I went, I literally just got publicly rebuked by Heidi Baker. Live streamed, thousands of people watching, thousands of people in the room, public rebuke. I went up to her and I said, Heidi, thank you for that public rebuke. I've never been publicly rebuked. Lots of private, like Matthew 18 kinds of things. You know, (laughs) She goes, oh, you're welcome. (laughs) So I realized I've got to do something. So I'm with Lou and we're talking and sorry, I'm getting a little more into the story than I meant to, but we're we're talking and he goes, your next step is to talk to my friend, Chris. And we're in Atlanta and I drop Lou off at a conference, go to the airport. I'm standing in line for my flight in the Atlanta airport. And I look up. His last words to me that day were, your next step is to talk to my friend, Chris. I look up and three feet in front of me, Chris is standing there in line for my flight. He's from, Adla- uh, he's from Kansas City. I'm from Virginia. We're at Atlanta. He's in front of me on my flight. It was Lou's final words. Now, I am freaking out. I'm texting Lou. Oh, look, I can't even text. My finger's shaking. You know, Chris is in front of me. And he prophesies it. Gatherings on the East Coast. I'm sitting there on the flight next to him and he prophesied that I knew at that moment we had to do this. This was, I would regret forever at that moment. I knew if I didn't do it. With no money, not even a big enough platform. Come on, God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. I'm not coming as the wise things. I'm not coming as the wise one. I'm coming as the weak one. Broken on the ground. Just praying for for a decade. Just laying on my face for a decade. Hungry, not hungry for a platform, but just hungry for the presence of Jesus. Just gripped, possessed, weak, sincere. Didn't have it all figured out. Still don't have it all figured out. But one thing we had figured out. One thing. One thing we had figured out. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord. That shall I seek. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to see the beauty of the Lord. I want to inquire in his temple. That was the one thing. If we only knew one thing, that was the one thing. So anyway, we go to book the National Mall. We're there in the National Park Service, you know, and we're filling out the paperwork. I'm signing on, you know, signing the dotted line. Jason Hershey and I are together and, and I'm sitting there and I realize we just accidentally booked the National Mall for the Feast of Tabernacles. Didn't even realize it. Here we are going to set up 50 plus tents on the Feast of Tabernacles on the National Mall. And the first day of our little, the first day of our load-in was the 20-year anniversary of the largest prayer meeting in history in America, the Promise Keepers in 1997. The largest event on the National Mall in its history. And, and I'm, I'm freaking out. Like we're stepping into something that's beyond us. And so, you know, God is just incredibly good. Now, the reason I share all this is to share with you a little bit, just briefly, what's happening now. Because that was last year, and, and it was amazing. 1,600 worship teams from every state 
58 tents, almost all of them, 24 hours a day singing. Top government officials, Heidi Baker has a video clip of top government officials giving their life to Jesus across party lines and washing each other's feet because the atmosphere of the city was shifting and moving. Hundreds and hundreds saved, healed. I mean, you're getting, we're getting emails. Of, it wasn't even like a healing service. I mean, Todd, White, and the others were there. There were healing moments. But just throughout the whole thing, blind eyes opened, deaf ears opened. All across the National Mall, an ice cream lady in an ice cream truck figured out what was going on at the event. Everybody that bought ice cream from her truck, she would tell them about what the tents were for, and then they would get saved. And like 50 people got saved at her ice cream truck. I mean, for real. <laughs> I remember the, the night before we got this thing, and, and we're, we got the tents covering them all, and, and uh, this guy from the Smithsonian comes out. He walks out, and he's like, excuse me, what is going on? I said, well, it's a, it's a worship gathering. He goes, he asked the exact right question. The exact right question. Why? Why are you doing this? He goes, at least, I hope at least you're going to fight for endangered species. I said, well, I believe in fighting for endangered species, but this is actually a worship gathering. Anyway, so we went through this whole process and God will break you down in this stuff, won't he? In a good way, but he breaks you down. He brings you to the end of yourself. The night before this thing, I'm looking at $1.3 million in the red, laying on the ground in my hotel room, crying, going, God, you told me, you told us. I'm like, what are we going to do? I signed the dotted line and I'm laying there on the ground and, and the Holy Spirit falls in our hotel room. I mean, falls on us. I mean, we're like laughing, crying, we're crafting. <laughs> and like we had courage, got up, did the whole weekend, finished the weekend. We're still way in the red, like almost a, like a million dollars. And I went, what are we going to do? This is impossible. I've pulled every lever I know to pull. We did everything we knew to do. And at the end of the day, by divine appointments, all the funding came in. And I just, but there was, there was in the process, this transition, I had this dream. I had this dream where I had a divine appointment and funding and other things were happening right before the thing. And and I had this dream where I'm in Lou Engle's house and, um, I'm with his son and his son swallows a nail. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And suddenly it's me. I've swallowed a nail. I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do. And I wake up. I'm like, that was the most ridiculous pizza dream. Maybe demonic. I don't know. But I'm with Lou the next morning. If you know anything about Lou, one of his first questions for you is, did you dream last night? I was like, yeah, I did. But it was just dumb. Dumb. Probably demonic. He goes, what was it? Finally, he convinces me to tell him. He goes, oh, I don't think that was demonic at all. He goes, I think there's an element of the sufferings of Christ that you actually get to participate in when you do these moments of faith. Because there is a, a shift. There's, there was a transition for me where I suddenly realized it had shifted from intercessory prayer to intercessory life. It had shifted from just prayer meetings into the life 
of sacrificial love, of laid down love, offering myself for the nation and for Jesus' worth and beauty and glory. I mean, I I, I don't say that to say I'm anything. I just say something happened where it transitioned. I think God wants to do that even here where we transition from evangelistic events or intercessory prayer meetings into intercession and compassion being the essence of who we are. It becomes, we become the intercession. We become the intercession through our obedience. Intercession begins to transcend simply prayer meetings and it begins to become your life. You begin to dream the dreams of Jesus for a nation and you begin to be a poured out offering, a sacrificial offering. And I suddenly realized I need a theology of suffering. I'm not talking about things the devil does that we resist because we resist that. We resist sickness. We resist Satan. But there's an element of participating in the suffering of Christ that is an, is an expression of love, of intercession, where our lives are laid down. We take the leap of faith into obedience. We become intercession on behalf of our nation and the nations of the earth. We suddenly transition out of the self-obsession that so quickly consumes American Christianity. And we begin to step into the dream of Christ like the Moravians where the, the cry is, let the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. Let the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. I'm not saying I've arrived. I'm just saying this last year was a major transition for me. And we stepped in and we saw not only the swallow the nail, but we saw the power of resurrection. We saw things we could have never produced. I mean, girls with scars all over their bodies from self-harm. A couple of weeks after the thing, I, I run into this girl. She goes, yeah, I was there. I'd never worshiped like that. I didn't even really know Jesus that well. And I'm like, and I'm out there and I'm just lost all day, all night. Three o'clock in the morning. You have to imagine if you were there, 58 tents, three o'clock in the morning, they're all singing covering the whole national mall. And this girl goes, I was just lost and I couldn't leave. And, and she goes, one night, Todd White said something about scars from self-harm or something like that. And she goes, I felt a hand come on my back. There was no one there. I was just worshiping God. And I roll up my sleeves and I realize all the scars on my legs and my arms from cutting herself were completely gone. All of them. And she's crying, she's weeping. And I just ran into this girl and I'm like, and, and many things like that happened. There was power of resurrection, but there was also fellowship of sufferings where something came into our, our hearts that the greater expression of love for Jesus is not just how high you jump when you're in the worship service, which is awesome, but it's actually the life of obedience, total unreserved, 100% obedience, especially in the moments where it costs you something, where, it, where you don't even know how, all you know is God said. You're literally standing on the word of God. That's it. And, and that's, well, that's one of the reasons why at certain moments you need some confirmations, right? I mean, you don't just have one dream and go out and sell your house necessarily. Although you might need to, I don't know. Take that and judge it. But here's what happened. We felt this stirring in our heart. You know, this, this idea of tense, it's like an old technology that God is breathing on in a new way right now in America. So Bob Jones said, he goes, tent gatherings. He's describing this thing. I think that's bizarre. Tents are extremely inconvenient. There's no bathrooms, power. Everything's a problem with tents. 
They're a little cheaper than huge conference venues, but they're still a problem, especially when it rains. And yet the Lord was like, do tents. And this thing rises up. I'm with leaders. We're praying. We're seeking the Lord. And out of the blue, the Lord begins to speak that he wants to tent America. That it to transcend three, four days on the National Mall, but spill out. And this is what's happening in 2018. I actually think what's about to happen is probably a bigger step of faith in some ways than what just happened in 2017. Because right now, things are moving across America where we're going to see uh, tent gatherings, 24-hour music, worship, prayer, gospel proclamation with signs and wonders, tent gatherings in every state capital and hundreds of university campuses simultaneously across the entire nation. <laughs> September 27th through 29th, it's going to be all, all across America. Right now we're seeing every state capital. The states are mobilizing. And this is the great thing about this because we're finding one another. It's really not about a brand, building our new brand. This, you know, what we, would be, what we would love is that if worshiping prayer movements would be catalyzed that don't have our brand on it at all, all across America, that campuses would do these moments and then, and then springboard into these worship prayer movements. And so I want to just talk about that for a minute, if it's okay. From the scriptures, I I just want to unpack this just for a moment, because I think that there's a DNA in this that's already in this church. This is a worshiping presence of God centered, praying community already. But I, I think the Lord Jesus is insisting because of his goodness on the culture of the missions and revival movements being oriented around his personal presence. And I think he's insisting in his sovereign leadership on a specific DNA. He said it in Malachi chapter one, verse 11. He said, in every place, incense will rise. He's speaking to the priesthood of the day and he's rebuking them for their carnality. And he goes, by the way, parenthetical statement. I know you think you have the corner of the market on priesthood, but FYI. There's going to come a day where every single place in the earth is going to have incense in it. That's a wild prophecy, isn't it? But it tells you something about Jesus' ways. Now, just for like a few minutes, I want to look at a couple passages of scripture. But I do want to appeal to you um, to consider, to pray about joining this national moment with these tents. Not to be part of our thing, but but because God is doing something in America. I mean, something is really happening. In fact, one more story. Billy Graham passed this week. And there's so many prophecies about what's going to happen in the time frame of his passing. I mean, every prophetic community's got their word about what happens when Billy Graham passed. Probably mostly true. Because God really likes him. <laughs> you know, when one of God's friends passes, he makes a big deal of it. So he's made, God made a big deal about Billy Graham's passing. He really did. I mean, our community had like five dreams of it like 10 years ago. What was going to happen when Billy Graham passed? Anyway, so he passed on Wednesday and we're with, um, we're at a prayer meeting. Early in the morning, I get the word. And so I tell everybody in the room, oh, Billy Graham just died this morning. And so we're just kind of honoring him. And then a, a bunch of our guys were going that afternoon with this past Wednesday into a public high school in Virginia 
They were working with these student-led Jesus clubs. They were launching a brand new movement in a public high school of what they're calling Jesus clubs, student-run. But, but our leaders are stepping in and preaching in, at the invitation of the students at these Jesus clubs. It's their very first one, the day Billy Graham died. They go into this public high school. They didn't know who was going to show up. 275 kids showed up on the first day public high school, 130 of them responded for salvation. Public high school during lunch hour. During lunch hour, 130 kids. And I just felt like maybe it's a down payment, just a little bit of a down payment of what's coming on the campuses of America. So real quickly, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I want to talk about this DNA, this, this culture of heaven that Jesus wants replicated. I, I'm convinced he, he insists upon it being replicated all over the earth. Look at this, this wild passage. I love Paul. Don't you guys love the epistles of Paul? It's just, he's got the audacity to say things. Probably because he had... Second Corinthians 12 things happened in his life. I don't know. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart or your mind on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul is giving you the orientation. He's giving you how he thinks. I find this passage to be remarkable. Set your mind where? On things above, where Christ is, not on the things of the earth. Now this is a remarkable paradigm. Of how to live. You know, many of us as Christians, we go through our whole Christian life and our minds are not yet preoccupied with things that are heavenly. Our minds are preoccupied much of the time with things that are earthly. Now we know Jesus' will is that heaven comes to earth, right? On earth as it is in heaven. But there's something in the way that Paul lived where he was connected. You know, there is... An eternal city. Just going to say this out loud because many times people come to Jesus and they don't know that they are citizens of an eternal city. That is a real place. In fact, in Revelation it says it's 1,500 miles cubed. Those little orphans in Heidi Baker, Roland Baker's great-grandfather, you know, they went into that eternal city. They saw this actual city of which you are a citizen right now. Now, this is going to relate to prayer and worship here in just one moment, but let's just pause on this for a second. You're a citizen of a heavenly city. Anybody in the military or or military family in here? You go on deployment. See, I'm from D.C. area, so whenever you say that, like half the room raises their hand. When you go on deployment, you're over there on assignment, right? But but imagine the guy that's on, or, or lady that's on assignment, she's, he or she has a family at home, has a couple houses. Let's say they're wealthy. They've got a couple houses. They've got a church family. They're elders in their church. They've got a couple businesses at home. They're not over there on that assignment, not thinking about all of those things where their actual life is. 
Sometimes they got to focus, they got to engage. And we are here because God's will is to bring heaven and earth together in Christ. To see the things that are on heaven manifest here on the earth. That's, we are literally ambassadors of that city. But our life is with Christ. That's where he, he's in a resurrected body right there in that city. He's a human in an actual body in the city. I mean, this is like 101, but guys. Uh, we don't even think about this half the time. We're just trying to make it, get out of bed and, and survive the day. And yet you're a citizen of a glorious city. You're already there with him, according to Ephesians 2. You're seated with Christ in heaven. You have direct lines of access. And when you talk to God, and when you sing to God, you replicate the culture of that city. <laughs> Runaway child. <laughs> so here's the point. What's going on in that city matters to you. It matters to you. What's that place like? Like, what's it really like there? You know, there are, right in the middle of that city, there's this place that we affectionately call the throne room. Why is that significant to you? Well, there's four or five places in the Bible where God gives us a window. You don't even have to have a third heaven experience to see it. You can go to about five places in the Bible, like Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 10, Isaiah 6, Revelation 4 and 5. You can go a number of places, open it up and literally go there. You know, when a guy named Mike Bickle launched a house of prayer in Kansas City, I know you all mostly are probably familiar. I went in the very beginning of that thing. And the thing that freaked me out or just that I didn't understand is I thought he would launch this thing talking about the practicals of prayer mostly. But they did like four months because I went at the beginning. I came back like four months later and they were still talking about Revelation 4. <laughs> Jasper God, Sardius God, lightnings, thunderings, four living creatures, holy, 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 emerald rainbow, sea of glass mingled with fire. And they're talking about that to birth the prayer movement. And I would think you'd spend most of your time on the mechanics of this is how you pray. Here's how you talk to God. Memorize your prayer list and all that's important. But he goes, no, four months, I don't know how long. It was every feature of the throne room. And I, I remember thinking, this is so bizarre to launch a prayer movement this way. And it shows that I didn't understand because what God wants to do is, re the reason heaven is relevant is because God's will is perfectly done there. And that's what he wants to bring here. But I, I want to say the culture, the administration of God's will on the earth has right in the middle of it, musical, singing, praying culture. <clears throat> you know, we've been singing for 2000 years, just about every time we get together at the church. Most people never hit pause and actually go, why are we doing this? It's just what we do. We come and we sing. You, can you imagine if <clears throat> the Congress of the United States got together and every time they get together, spend about half their time singing. <laughs> People in the front row here be like, that'd be amazing. <clears throat> Most of the world would be like, they lost their mind. We voted these people in office and they spend half their time singing. But do you know what the elders of heaven do? The 24 elders seated on thrones, Revelation 5, 8. What do they have in their hands? They have harps. They're, they're actually singing. There's music and sound because God is 
unbelievably relational. He's so different than you and me. His ways are really not yours. (laughs) They're not. What kind of God would go, I'm going to administrate my government by doing Malachi 1.11 all over the earth. Incense everywhere. What is incense? Songs and prayers everywhere. I'm going to ride on it. I'm going to execute. He goes, I never called you to administrate the transformation of nations in your own capacity. I never called you to do that. I didn't call you just to figure it all out. I want you to ride my wave. I want you to ride my wave. How do you ride the wave? You draw near. I want to say he put fascination in the deal. People that are not fascinated need deliverance. Because there is no one in that eternal city that's not fascinated with God. I'll tell you one thing they are. You know those living creatures. They got eyes. Inside and out, whatever that means. They got eyes everywhere. Nobody chains them down. They're just, ah, all the time. That's, That's my definition of the word holy. Ah! Transcendent, beyond, 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 beyond. Beautiful. God wants to exhilarate the church global. God wants to be back in the center of the affections of a million people in America. 200 million people across the earth. He wants to be back in our affections again. We're out here working. And he goes, you're going to work way harder when you get back to the main thing. Eyes wide open. Shocked at beauty. Just stunned. We're We're supposed to be walking around like, Did you see what I just saw? That's the culture of the new Jerusalem. It's God's way. We all see dimly. We all have days we don't feel fully, but I'm just telling you, by faith, you can enter into the shock of beauty. And you can find your life hidden with Christ in God. And so Paul goes, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. What he's telling you is identify with that culture so you can live and express that culture to the earth. You can't be too heavenly minded to be earthly good. You can't. We're not heavenly minded enough is the issue. We're worried about the million point three dollars I had to raise to fund the thing. And you look up and you realize there's no lack. Right? You're worried about whatever, your relationships, trying to build the church, trying to survive. And you look up and you realize God has no lack at all. And even if I never am famous and never have a platform, I can be fully satisfied, fully exhilarated, fully in love. Even in the hard moments, I'm telling you, God is the corner of the market on pleasure. So why the tents, the Smithsonian man? Why these tents? I wanted to tell him, I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, because I love pleasure. (laughs) That would have gone over well. (laughs) Because you worship that which you enjoy most. 
I'm just telling you, God wants to come and exhilarate us. And the, the government of heaven, the government of heaven is music, has music and prayer conversation, interaction with the one that's like a Jasper Sardius stone seated on the throne that's in your spirit. That's the great thing. He's not just there. He's here. He made you. I love that passage in first, in first Corinthians where Paul goes, anyone who's joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. What? I can't be one spirit with my wife. I can be one flesh with my wife, but I'm one spirit with Christ. By the Holy Spirit. I'm one spirit. That means what's there is in here. And I have a direct line. There's a heavenly ministry you have. And there is an identity crisis in the church on some level where we're, we're forgetting who we are. We're, we're, not a, we're not a chicken. We're an eagle. And we're waddling around. We're waddling around not knowing what. See, Prayer and worship is not about earning something or reaching or striving and trying to get to God. Prayer and worship is who you are. It's how you work. It's people waddling around, not knowing who they are, trying to get everything done like a chicken. And God's going, you're not a chicken, you're an eagle. Step up. Come up. If we knew, like Andrew Murray said, oh, that we would believe more in speaking to God than men. Oh, that we would believe more in speaking to God than men. See, when Jesus died in Revelation 1, 5 and 6, John says, to him who loves us and forgave us from our sins, of our sins by his blood and made us priests, a kingdom of priests. See, we have to recover priesthood. That's how we work. That's how the government, what I'm submitting to you is that the government of heaven works with priestliness. Priestliness means drawing near. It's the interaction. It's a musical, prayerful conversation culture where in the throne room, it literally goes day and night, 24 hours a day. The angels are never ceasing day and night, it says, to cry out holy. Why is that happening? Why did David, King David, when he ascends to to his, his place of leadership in Jerusalem, becomes king of all of Israel, why was his first step to hire 4,288 singers and musicians. I mean, David certainly had some advisors around him going, David, you know, it cost David about $200 billion to do that, to hire the worship ministry and to prepare for Solomon's temple. He spent $200 billion of his personal finance on worship. And there's probably some guy in his administration that was telling him every day, David, you could probably run the tabernacle with about 50 musicians. 4,000? I mean, we could run 24-hour worship with 50 people easy. Honestly. We could, if I had 100 people doing full-time 24-hour worship, this thing would explode. But 4,288? David, you lost your mind. But maybe David was actually extremely pragmatic in that decision. Maybe it wasn't some mystical weird thing. Maybe he understood what happens when those singers and musicians are functioning. Maybe he understood something that we're still, even in the new covenant, trying to figure out. See, there's nowhere in the Torah that commanded David to pay 4,000 people's salary and raise up all those things. It doesn't say it exactly that way. 
There was an overflow of David's heart where he goes, I know what will happen. First of all, I know how worthy and beautiful God is. And number two, I know what will happen when these 4,000 guys are paid full time. It says they are freed from every other duty under David's leadership. And you might say, maybe that was just old covenant, but I would submit to you. I think the new covenant, we have far more access than the old covenant, don't we? And it it means to me, what would happen if all over the world, millions of people are singing? This is the culture of heaven. This is what David embodied. And I'm submitting to you, it's the governmental strategy of Jesus. See, I'm going to these people in Washington, D.C. Lately, I've been meeting with people around the city. Some of them are people of influence. And I'm describing to them what we do. And they go, so, so you have performers at two o'clock in the morning. I'm, no, 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 no. something happens. I say this, do you want to see transformation of nations? Yes. Do you want to see transformation of this nation? Yes. Do we need a breakthrough in Washington, D.C.? Yes. Well, all the more reason to find as many musicians as you can with hearts that are on fire, that are writing songs and release them because it's the upside down, backwards kingdom of God. It's not our way. There's a lot of other things that need to happen. We need lobbyists and we need lawyers and we need businessmen, but we also need singing and sounds and prayers that go day and night in the cities across America until the balls of heaven are shifting and revival is breaking out. Every revival in church history was birthed in sustained, radical, extravagant, musical expressions of prayer. They all were. Because God insists on it. I mean, this, this is 101. This, isn't, this is basic Christianity. But guys, we have to have a revelation. You know, one of my spiritual fathers had this dream. And he saw these five doors in this dream. And they were labeled apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist over each of the five doors. And there were so many people trying to get through the five doors, nobody could move. It's like log jammed. Everybody's trying to get through. Everybody's trying to get through the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist door. And he's standing there and he goes, I can't. And he looks over to the side in this dream and he sees two doors. Written over one says intercessor. And written over the other says servant. And there's no line. Imagine. (laughs) Nobody there. So he goes, well, I can't get through the apostle door. I'm going to go through the intercessor door. He walks in this dream, he walks through the intercessor door, gets to the other side, and guess what? Five doors. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. No line. You see, worship and intercession is not a ministry office. It's not apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, intercessor. Or worshiper. Worship leader is not a five-fold ministry office. It's not in there. Why? Because those things are the foundational realities of spiritual authority. I was in a, I was in a meeting and, and this guy goes, we got to call the intercessors. And I'm like, so we calling everybody? Right? Because everybody's an intercessor. Some people are more prone towards it. Every church, you know, if you grew up especially charismatic, you had the intercessors. And you're kind of like, they're weird. Like, I was the guy that wouldn't go to prayer meetings. They were weird, okay? Like, I want to see revival. I don't know what this is. I'm not picking on anybody, but it was all old ladies. 
And I, I'm grateful for that. I mean, like, really, my grandma prayed me in, so I'm, there, there's no, no dishonor there. But I'm like going, I don't know how to relate to that. I just, just and, and the old ladies kept saying, come to our prayer meetings. And I go, I don't know if I want to come to your prayer meetings. And then somebody says, let's pray 24 hours a day. And we did it and everything changed. That's another story for another day. But let me show you this last passage and then we're going to pray. Close this up. Isaiah 42. I want you to see this because, you know, music and singing and prayer, these things, worship feels good a lot of times. But we need something a little deeper than I like the worship part of the service. You got to get a little deeper on understanding the why behind the what. We need about a million people that get the why behind the what. And then we need some of them have a lot of money that will fund the why behind the what. Come on, just keeping it real here. Isaiah 42, look at this verse. This is one of many, but look at this, starting in verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. He will shout. He will raise the battle cry. He will triumph over his enemies. And then the Lord says, for a long time, I've held my peace. I've kept silent. I've been quiet. I've held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and pant. I lay waste the mountains. Then he goes on and he describes a really intense global scenario. <laughs> but, but here, here, listen to this. Can you see the scenario here? Now, rather than read this as if it's simply some kind of poetic, we sang it this morning, all the earth will shout your praise. Rather than just take that as some kind of uh, uh, hyperbole, oh yeah, all the earth, as in little pockets of people here and there, that are just a little weird. What if this passage, I believe this is yet to be fully fulfilled, this passage And there's many others like it. It says the deserts, the cities, the coastlands. It even says the mountaintops. It says villages. Everywhere, they're going to be singing. And then what happens? And then the Lord stirs himself up and then the Lord shouts. The point is that in Jesus' action plan for the earth, right in the middle of it, he goes, I'm gonna raise up singing, lovesick, communities, On the mountains, the villages, the cities, the coastlands, the deserts, everywhere. And then I'm going to shout. It's almost as if a billion people in the world or whatever number are begin to hear his shout before the world sees his shout in fullness. I remember one night I was teaching on this verse and we had a few hundred people in this little worship night a few number of years ago. And we started singing. I had the musicians and I was singing I was singing the distant thunder. I was singing, hear the voice of the Lord. You hear it in your spirit before the world sees it and you begin to sing out of it. And I'm singing that. And right when, and the music is like crescendoing. And right when we get to the climax musically, lightning strikes, literally strikes. I I don't know if it struck the building or right next to it, but it like power and everybody's freaking out. Musicians stop. (laughs) 
We're like, there's a distant thunder. And then bam, lightning. Ah! Everybody just puts their instruments down. Literally, the Lord, the Lord was playing with us. I'm telling you, for real. All the, all the musicians are just standing there staring at each other. Because the power surged, the lightning strikes, everybody doesn't know what to do. But what the Lord was just trying to say to us was, these are my ways. There's many other things he's doing. You had a marketplace business conference. That's essential. But what if God raises up marketplace guys that are singing marketplace guys? They get up a little early and they sing a little bit. I got friends who have prayer meetings in their office. Right there in the middle of their office. And I got a lawyer friend from, uh, from uh, Virginia Beach. This, this is a true story. He came to one of our gatherings. He saw Lou Engel. He didn't know who he was. And all of a sudden he's crying. He's a lawyer. And, he, and he, see, he sees Lou and he goes, and he hears the Lord just in his heart say, go put your hand on that man. It's like, oh, this is so weird. He's not like this. And he goes over and just kind of says, hi, Lou, and puts his hand on. He leaves that thing and he can't stop doing 40 day fasts from that time on. If you know anything about Lou. So here he is. He's an attorney running an extremely busy schedule and he's fasting 40 days on water like a couple times a year. And he's not able to work the normal hours he used to work. But all he knows is his heart is tenderizing. He's, frankly, he's crying a lot. Here he is in the marketplace. Guess what happens? His business that year of multiple 40-day water fast increases by 60%. And every year after, it's been going up. And he's one of my closest friends. Here he is in the marketplace laboring as a, as a witness to the gospel, as an influencer. But he's, he's got this Psalm 42 thing in his life. Do you understand? It's God's ways. He wants weeping businessmen. People that are gripped, that are possessed with, he's, he's committed. John 17, 26, he says, I, Jesus prayed that we would love Jesus the way the Father loves Jesus. That was Jesus' final statement before the cross. He goes, Father, that the love with which you love me would be in them and I in them. That means what's the Holy Spirit doing in the world today? He's causing a billion people to feel about Jesus what the Father feels about Jesus. That is a shoreless ocean. But that's the why behind the what, isn't it? That's what's really going on. And, and I'm submitting to you, and many of you know this, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. But guys, we need an identity awakening. We've got to understand, yes, we are children, sons and daughters. Yes, we are the bride of Christ. But the way we function as children, as sons of God, as the bride of Christ, is as a priesthood. That's how we work. We've got to stretch our wings out. Get up a little early. Sing the songs of the Lord. Go to the five-person prayer meeting. Do it day in, day out. Begin to live a specific way. Not earning something from God, but being who you are. Doing the heavenly ministry. Living the culture that's there, here. And if we'll do that for five years, you will see storylines begin to move around your life. Because you're, you're operating in the authority and the culture of the new Jerusalem. You're living as an ambassador of that age. And so I want to prophesy and say over Raleigh-Durham, I believe there's a significant stirring going on in this region to host the presence of the Lord in such a way that it's going to impact not just this nation, but the nations of the earth. Something, and I'm not saying this to hype anything up because I believe it's true. I believe something's happening in Raleigh-Durham right now. People are beginning to move here from all over. I keep hearing of more and more people that are coming to Raleigh-Durham. There's worshiping, praying communities like this one all over this city. God is in region, and I just believe there's a... 
in some ways, there's like a bullseye on Raleigh Durham to host, to become a revival center and to host the presence of the Lord. But there is a specific invitation from the Holy Spirit. I believe he's saying, will you pursue me with all your heart? Will you embrace the inconvenience of singing, praying communities? Will you embrace a love song? Even when you don't feel it, will you sing it? Will you come near to me? Not earning something, but simply being who you are. Will you be a priesthood? I believe the Lord says, will you be a priesthood? Will you be priestly kings? You're kings, but you're also priests. And the kings are priests, and the priests are kings. You can't just be kings, you gotta be priests, because the kingly doesn't work without the priestly. So I just speak forth grace to wear the ephods of priestly garments, to, to function to write songs, to create musical expressions, to do all-night prayer meetings, to draw near to the Lord in a specific and even in an extravagant way in this region. So, Father, we bless this region right now. We stretch out our, heart, our, our arms. We, we release in the authority as a, as a royal priesthood. We release grace to sing day and night, to prophesy to sing, to pray, and to prophesy. To enter into what the elders of heaven already understand with harps in one hand and bowls in the other filled with prayer. I pray, God, that the culture of heaven would fill, catch the fire Raleigh and would fill the church of this city, First Baptist Church, begin to fill all the congregations with supernatural, worshiping, creative, songwriting, praying movements, Lord. I ask you to release praying, singing, creative movements that would literally change the atmosphere over this region. That it would be hard to not be saved in Raleigh-Durham. That it would be hard to not have a consciousness of God in Raleigh-Durham. You can do this. And now I ask you to do it like you did in the Azusa Street community at the turn of the century. I ask you to do it here as they tarried with you for hours. And then you baptized them and you poured out the love of Christ. And God, I ask you for that. Just like wildfire all over this city. Just for 30 seconds, we have to end. But for 30 seconds, I want to ask if you can lift your voice all the way to the back of the room. Can we do this? Let's just cry out to the Lord. Just begin to lift your voice, sing and pray. Father, shift the atmosphere over this city, over Raleigh, Durham. Let heaven come. Let heaven come. Let heaven come. On earth as it is in heaven. Come on, all the way to the back of the room. We can shift something today. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait till next week. We don't have to wait till the next event, the conference. We can shift it right now. We don't have to wait. Be the ecclesia. Be the priesthood. Be who you are. Lift your voices. Move heaven. Move heaven. Let angels ascend and descend in this city again. Let angels ascend and descend over this place. Let your kingdom come now. Will of God be done now on earth as it is in heaven. Father, let songwriters, sons of thunder, be set before you. Let a new song come out of this place. Let albums and recordings and sounds fill the earth out of Raleigh-Durham. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We love you. We love you. We love you. Amen.